Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Tenth, a podcast about the rich history, culture, and contributions of the Tenth Circuit Courts. I'm your host, Leah Schwartz, a Wyoming lawyer and former Tenth Circuit law clerk. And I'm producer Tina Howell, Emerging Technologies Librarian for the Tenth Circuit. In a previous episode, we excerpted the stories of two specific cases from the oral history of Hal Haddon, a lauded Denver trial lawyer. In this episode, Mr. Haddon describes his work on certain federal judicial appointments in the District of Colorado. He also describes his involvement in the development of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar. While Haddon expresses opinions about the nominating process, those opinions are his own. We at the podcast offer his recollections for their historical value. To listen to Haddon's complete oral history, please visit 10thCircuitHistory.org. Typically in the United States, certainly true even now and and more so in the uh, 60s and 70s, if you wanted to be a United States district judge, you had to have the uh, essentially the blessing and the nomination of the senior United States senator from the party in power. So if there was a Democratic president and you wanted to be a federal judge, you had to have the blessing of the senior Democratic senator in Colorado. There was a lot of criticism of that then and now that led to too much cronyism. When Jimmy Carter got elected president in 1976, Carter was an advocate of significant reform. Gary Hart had only been elected to the Senate two years earlier in 74. And the ABA, the American Bar Association, was pushing the, the notion that instead of essentially senatorial courtesy, there ought to be federal judicial nominating commissions in states where there were vacancies, and commissions should be bipartisan. They should consist of distinguished members of the community, not just the legal community, but leaders in the community that who were not lawyers, and that there ought to be a nonpartisan process for sending names to the United States senators for their consideration and to the president for the president's consideration. So all that converged in 1977 because Carter became president, and he was an advocate of this very new Judicial Commission selection process for federal judges. And Gary Hart and Floyd Haskell at the time were the two Democratic senators in Colorado. So Hart and Haskell decided that they would try this commission process rather than simply suggesting that some of their best friends be nominated. And as an aside, Senator Hart asked me before we started the first commission whether I wanted to have one of the two judicial vacancies which were available. I said, no, I think we need to establish this commission process. I think we need a lot more diversity on the bench. And I think the commission process gives a lot of credibility to people who go through it because they will be thought of as not simply being political acts and favorites but people who really have qualifications to be federal judges. So with President Carter's blessing, Gary Hart and Senator Floyd Haskell started the first Federal Judicial Nominating Commission in Colorado in 1977. There was one vacancy during the first commission, which I sat on, which was chaired by a Republican named Chester Alter, who was the chancellor of the University of Denver and a marvelous guy. That resulted in Judge Kane being nominated Judge Kane, who had utterly no political credential or contact, 
who was a fabulous federal district judge going on uh, some 45 years. And then two more vacancies uh, came up in 1978. I was very keen to have a woman on the federal bench. Uh, and the only woman state district judge in Colorado was a woman named Zita Weinshank. She was a district judge in Denver District Court, and she, by coincidence, was the judge I tried the Sneed case in front of, which we talked about yesterday. And very capable, uh, very able woman. She applied, went through the process, was selected as one of six who were recommended to the president and President Carter nominated her and nominated Jim Kerrigan, who was on the Colorado Supreme Court at the time, and they were both confirmed. So within the process of three years, this commission produced three confirmed nominees, uh, including an extraordinarily qualified woman for the federal bench, and they all served with great distinction. As you know, the Republicans in Colorado have never followed that process. They always have a small group that's potential nominees, I think, for ideological uh, purity. They don't go through the, the bipartisan process that we have gone through. I have now sat on seven of those commissions. Uh, I chaired one for Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell. I chaired three for Senators Michael Bennett and Mark Udall. And my co-chairs were always Republicans, Becky Corliss and Candy Thiga. In some of those commissions... We also had some judges of color appointed. When Ben Nighthorse Campbell became U.S. Senator in, I think it was 1990, Bill Clinton had just been elected. We had a Democrat uh, in the White House, and at the time, Senator Campbell was a Democrat. He, he decided later to become a Republican. But he was a Democrat at the time, and he appointed me to uh, chair a Judicial Selection Commission. There were two openings. He and I agreed that it was essential that persons of color be put on the U.S. District Court bench in Colorado. There had never been any, uh, and it was long past time. So his priority, and his direction to me, was uh, find me the most qualified persons of color. Right in this room, we had three or four meetings where we interviewed probably 40 or 50 applicants. Um, ultimately, we, we sent to the senator and the president a, a list which consisted of three very qualified black applicants, one very qualified Hispanic applicant, and two very qualified white men. President Clinton nominated Wiley Daniel, who served with great distinction as the first black uh, federal district judge in Colorado for, uh, for about 30 years. He recently died. He did not nominate a Latino person that I thought he should have. Uh, that's how we got Wiley Daniel. Mm -hmm. And later, uh, during the Udall-Bennett process, uh, we sent up the names of Ray Moore, the second black federal district judge, uh, to be nominated and confirmed to the Colorado district bench, and Judge Martinez, who's uh, now serving uh, on the federal court district bench. And those were all results of the commission project that looked at merit and prioritized diversity in, in states where uh, senators uh, simply pick people who are their friends and are thought of as politically correct so you don't have that kind of diversity. The impact of that obviously can't really be overstated to in improve the diversity of the bench in terms of gender or race or ethnicity. There is another aspect of your influence in the legal community in Colorado 
that I think is really important to include here. And that influence is from you, from the firm together. But the fact is that for many, many years, Haddon Morgan and Foreman has really been at the heart of the, the criminal defense community in Colorado. And I wanted to just read a couple of words from an old speech from a time when you won an award from the criminal defense bar. I think what sums up what I'm trying to say in a much more articulate way are the statements of Larry Posner, who in, is on his own certainly a, a notable trial lawyer in Colorado. And these are his statements about you. Uh, back from the Ulm Award dinner. 1986. 86. What Larry said is, you have a calendar that is filled to overflowing, yet daily you take time to answer our calls. We call for advice in terms of preparation, and you take time to talk to us. We call for guidance in our times of trouble, and you take time to give it to us. We call after our loss and in our disappointment, and you take time to give us solace. And we call and we call. We call to say, how do you have any cases on this point? How let me tell you what the DA is trying to do to me. How this judge is ordering me to do this. How do you have the name of an expert I could call? For years, the word has been in this city and across the state. Why don't you give Hal Haddon a call? And you have always answered it. And how so great has been your magnetism that you have formed around you such a firm with Brian and Lee and Norm and Saskia. But the greatest tribute is that now we do not simply say, why don't you give Hal Haddon a call? We say, why don't you give Hal's firm a call? It doesn't make any difference who answers the phone. You'll get an answer. They'll have time for you. In the political world, they keep your name and number. We know that that world is open to you. They've recognized your talents. We understand that you could be on a jet to Berlin, but you're in a car on the way to Brighton, and we know that you know it too. We know you would rather defend the accused than defend the government who accuses them. You've made us all so very proud to be known as criminal defense lawyers. I wanted to include that because I, I think that that is a perfect summary of how you not just for yourself, but also for this law firm, created a community when there wasn't really one. And I wonder if you would take a moment to talk about one of the core tenets of that community, which is the formation of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar. When the public defender system was first started and founded in 1970, there was no organized criminal defense bar and most criminal defense lawyers simply responded to judges' calls to come handle a court appointment, quite often for no fee. But after the public defender system got up and running and was doing recognizable, competent work, we criminal defense lawyers started to recognize that <clears throat> there, there were unique things that we needed to do in terms of advocacy for various parts of criminal justice, sentencing reform, open discovery, name but two, that uh, were very much at issue in the 1970s. And the uh, umbrella organization, sort of the Bar Association for Trial Lawyers in that time, in the 70s, uh, 
was CTLA, the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association. And the criminal defense bar was was sort of a a, a small uh, small group that uh, was recognized and some CLA programs uh, would go on at CTLA for criminal defense. Um, and I would present to their uh, CLA conferences and their annual meeting. But they were mostly interested in civil personal injury work, and that predominant uh, number of their members were uh, PI lawyers and civil commercial litigators. And so in 1972, I think it was, the United States Supreme Court abolished the death penalty in Furman versus Georgia. But um, they didn't abolish it for all time. They they abolished it with suggestions that uh, if states adopted death penalty statutes that had more specifics in terms of uh, of juror findings of aggravating and uh, mitigating circumstances that death penalty might be reinstated. Uh, and so it was a huge legislative battle in every state in the country. And especially in Colorado, there was always a strong, if not majority-driven at that time, consensus that the death penalty ought to be abolished because uh, it was not only immoral, but it imposed enormous costs on the criminal justice system and its participants and even victims. So after Furman versus Georgia, there was this uh, move in the Colorado State Legislature to readopt the death penalty. And there was also, at the same time, a lot of agitation for tort reform to limit the amounts of uh, damages that uh, certain personal injury uh, plaintiffs could receive and limit the amounts of fees that that plaintiff's lawyers could receive and limit some defenses. So all those things were swirling around in the uh, Colorado State Legislature in the late 1970s. And I and a couple of my friends, including my partners, Lee Foreman and Brian Morgan, um, very much uh, tried to get the CTLA, which had a strong lobbying arm, to uh, lobby against the reinstitution of the death penalty. And what happened um, was that they essentially traded tort reform and some legislation they wanted to limit tort reform uh, for the reinstitution of the death penalty, and they didn't lobby against the reinstitution of the death penalty. Seven of us, all criminal defense lawyers, all, all seven of us became so angry that in 1978 we formed the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar, which was designed to CLA programs, uh, newsletters, mailings and essentially lobbying to the extent that seven of us <laughs> could pull off that feat, lobbying with the state legislature and the governor's office and regulatory agencies on behalf of criminal justice issues as we perceived them, sentencing reform, bail reform, discovery reform. So we established that organization in 1978. Uh, it's now grown to be more than a 1,000 strong. In my view, it's the most effective public uh, statement lobbying uh, organization for criminal justice reform issues in the state and in many ways around the country. Uh, and so that was the seeds of it. And my partners, uh, Brian Morgan and Lee Foreman, and myself were three of the seven founders of that organization. The legacy of the CCDB lives on, obviously, and, and it's, as you said, an incredibly effective organization in terms of working to advance criminal justice reform in Colorado. This episode was produced and edited by Tina Howell. Subscribe and download at the Historical Society's website, 
tenthcircuithistory.org or at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Special thanks to Greg Kerwin, Brent Cohen, Stacey Guion, and Diane Bowersfield. Thanks so much for listening.